Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. If you have a Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 3, which should be obvious to you is not the book of Romans. In January of this year, we started a journey through the book of Romans, and we paused a couple weeks ago at the end of chapter 6, and our plan is to pick back up in Romans chapter 7, the beginning of next year, Lord willing, but for the remaining few weeks of 2017, we have a few other things planned, and in particular today, we have something I think very exciting and encouraging that will require much of us as a church plan that I'm going to talk to you about, and we're going to use Ephesians chapter 3, specifically verse 10, as, as a kind of base text for what we're going to speak about this morning. Before I do that, let me just mention, if you weren't here last Sunday, and you miss Pastor Raphael Kajubi from Uganda, I, I can't encourage you more highly to go to the website and access that message and listen to it. It was a tremendous encouragement. This brother is so gifted and so clear and so wise, and his message was, was uh, just a word fitly spoken and something that we as the American church needed to hear. Afterwards, I said, I said, brother, you, you have this unique gift of slapping us and making us feel good about it. And uh, he, he, that part when he was talking about, about Americans being fragile, um, he said, you know, I only intended to say that once, but I could tell it resonated, so I dug in a little deeper. <laughs> I said, dig, brother, dig. Praise God for this dear brother who's doing such a wonderful work on the other side of the globe, even now. Uh, well, they're six hours ahead of us, so they've gathered already. Praise God for them. This morning, it's my great joy to speak to you about the church and some plans that we have as a local church. We have mentioned it several times previously in the past few months. And this morning, and then next week, we are going to clarify and crystallize and dream and cast a vision for a desire and we believe a calling that the Lord has placed on us here as, as a local church to birth, to plant, to send out another local church in our area, Lord willing, to see another gospel preaching church planted in Columbus in this upcoming year in 2018 with Will Hawk, one of our associate pastors, leading that church as the church planter and lead pastor. This morning, I'm going to cast an overall vision from the scriptures for convictions that I believe are biblical, that we as a church should rally around, that we should be about. And then next week, Will is going to preach a more specific sermon about how the Lord has been stirring this in his heart and his vision for this, for this new church plant, Lord willing, sometime in this upcoming year of 2018, likely in the middle of the year, summer or fall of next year. And so this morning, I want us to read Ephesians chapter 3, specifically verse 10, but we're going to read kind of the surrounding context and then we're going to look at four convictions about the local church and why Cross Point Church should be involved in this great endeavor that we see ourselves venturing off together in in 2018. So let me pray 
And then let me read Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 12. Father, thank you for the gathering of your people, for the great privilege to open the Bible, to preach it freely, to sing songs about Jesus, the only one true sovereign, freely. Thank you for the over 200 children that are in this building, in the hallway, being ministered to. Thank you for the dear saints of Cross Point who are, who are serving us by caring for and ministering the gospel to our children. Thank you, Lord, for the gathering of your people. Thank you for the church, not just here in this building, but the church local in Columbus, for, for the Fort Church that meets at the old East Highland Baptist Church. I thank you for that good church led by that solid brother, Matt Stevens. I pray your blessings upon them as they gather this morning. I thank you for Calvary Baptist and St. Andrew's Presbyterian and Westminster Presbyterian and Berean Covenant. Christ community, the downtown churches. Lord, we thank you for the collective body of Christ in our city, and we pray that you would encourage the saints and that there would be much fruit born today as the body of Christ local gathers in Columbus. We pray for King Jesus Church in Busega, Uganda, and the great work that's happening there. We pray for Nasik Baptist Church in Nasik, India, and Kalapur Bible Church in Kalapur, India. Thank you for those dear brothers laboring there and we pray for your grace as they preach the gospel. Now, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word and the task that we believe that you are calling us to, I pray that you would give us clarity and joy and wisdom and sober-mindedness and, and faith and courage to think deeply about what it means to be a local church and our responsibilities as believers in Jesus. I pray that you do this all for the glory of your name and for the good of your people and for the salvation of all those that you have set your affection on in eternity past, that you have promised you will bring to faith in Jesus. I pray it all for those things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're diving in the middle of Ephesians. I'm going to start in chapter 3, and I want us to center on verse 10, but let me read the context. Up to this point, Paul has outlined the gospel of God's sovereign grace in Ephesians 1 and 2. And then in the rest of Ephesians, he's talking about how the church should live together. What this new one man, Jew and Gentile, put together in Christ should look like. And here, at the beginning of chapter 3, he speaks about this mystery of the gospel and how it has been revealed through the apostles in Paul's ministry. He says in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul... A prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And what I take Paul to be saying there is that in the Old Testament, where Christ was somewhat obscured, although pointed to, now it has been revealed the mystery, the clarity of how God is bringing all peoples, Jew and Gentile, together through his Son has been fully revealed. It's no longer obscured through the preaching of the gospel through the apostles empowered by the Spirit. 
This mystery, I take that to be the gospel, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, verse 10, listen to this, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So let me read verse 10 again. And then we're going to get into four convictions that I believe flow from this picture of the church that Paul paints for us here in verse 10. He's speaking about this gospel that's been revealed, that God is bringing all people together through his son, through his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, his glorious ascension. And he says in verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known, now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So I take this to mean that Paul is saying that the greatest news in the universe, which is the good news of how God makes people right, reconciled to himself, is now encapsulated, given to the church and God's primary way to make that news known to an onlooking cosmos, the spiritual authorities, forces of wickedness, foes and friends, God's primary mechanism for putting on display the one and true and only good news of how he reconciles a lost people to himself through Jesus is to be made known by the church, by us, by, by scrappy, sleepy, grumpy, thank you, brother, imperfect, anxious people like us. And when we say the church, I want us to think about the church in two sort of levels. In one sense, it's, it's church capital C. Is, is this the right way for you guys? Big C, right? No, yeah, yeah. Big C. And, and by capital church, I mean the great, grand, universal church of God. In other words, all people everywhere who are trusting in Jesus. So, so know this, that, that this room is made up of, of many different ethnicities and cultures. And those, those things are significant and important and beautiful, but, but know that we, even if we're of a different culture or ethnicity, are actually more connected and closer to people that are believers in Jesus on the other side of the world who we are part of the same body. So I have blood relatives in California who do not know Jesus, who I love dearly, 
But then I have spiritual relatives in Christ in Busega, Uganda, and in India, and all over the world, who I am more connected to in, in the body than I am even my own blood relatives. And that's true for every person in this room. And so in one beautiful, glorious sense, we are all part of the great, grand, capital C church, the universal body of Christ across culture, across generations, the great cloud of witnesses, that by God's grace, not because of anything we have done, God has made us part of that. But the New Testament is full of admonitions and exhortations and commandments to the church. And there's no way that this great grand universal church can implement and live out those principles as a universal church. And so God has given us a local expression of that great church. And it's called the local church, lowercase c. Places like Cross Point and Westminster Presbyterian and the Fort Church and Berea Covenant Church and Calvary Baptist and Christ Community. He's given us communities, little outposts in which we are to live, and, and this, is, this is so big, this is so mind-blowing, but it's so clear in Scripture. God intends to, as his primary means to make the most important news in the universe known, through local expressions of the great grand universal church like Crosspoint. So that means that what we are doing here this morning as we gather and as we live life together and as we interact with one another in a kind of particular way with all sorts of scriptural burdens and blessings and joys that are placed on us, how we are living together as people, black and white and brown from different cultures, what we are doing here together is actually the most important thing that God is doing in the universe. I'm preaching better than you were letting on. I just, I'm putting that out there. That's what I think Ephesians 3 verse 10 is saying. I'm going to look over here. Maybe I'll get a little juice from this side of the room. <laughs> and so from that floor, flow, four convictions. The first is this. The local church is God's primary plan. His primary plan to put the gospel on display. Look at what, what, what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And 1 Timothy is, is, an, is really an interesting letter. When we read 1 Timothy, and we went through 1 Timothy a year or so ago, sometimes we think that 1 Timothy is a kind of manual of church order. It gives us the qualifications of elders and deacons and you know, how we should treat various groups in the church. And certainly it is that. But what's interesting in the way that Paul is saying this is how the church should kind of do the regular rhythms of life together, he's actually saying all of that to make a greater point that the church should live together in this kind of ordinary and even mundane way because the church has this greater mission to be a kind of gospel outpost to an onlooking world. And listen to what he says in 1 Timothy verse 3, verses 14 and 15. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. In other words, we're a family. 
And this is how he describes the church, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And so he, he's describing the church in an, in, a, in an architectural term. He's saying that our life together, and this comes right on the heels of him describing the leadership of the church and the qualifications that they should have. And then he goes on to describe how, how we should treat different groups in the church like widows and, and young women and all sorts of people. He, he's saying that the way we live together as a church, our life is a kind of pillar. It's a buttress that is holding up this framework, this truth. And what is that truth? Well, that truth clearly is the good news of the gospel. And so think of the life and ministry of a local church to be like, the, like an engagement ring. And I've, I think I've made this analogy before, but when I was a young infantry lieutenant, it was 1993, 94, so that was 24 years ago, and I, I met a, I'm from California, I met a local Columbus girl, I quickly fell in love with her, I decided that I wanted to ask her to marry me, I'm not advocating this as a sound financial advice, but I did empty out everything I had in my checking account except for $100 to buy an engagement ring. Young men, don't, don't necessarily do that. But I bought an engagement ring, and it was a diamond, and that diamond was held up by and the world of jewelry, is, it's, it's, it's complicated. There's apparently different settings. There's different stone types and all sorts of stuff that, okay, and you better get that right, young man. You better get that right. But I'll tell you this, after 24 years of marriage, nobody has ever gone up to my wife's engagement ring and looked at the little prongs that are holding up the diamond and said, oh my, what, what nice prongs. The prongs are not the point. The, the point is the stone, the diamond that the prongs are holding up. And that's what Paul is saying that the church should be like. The point is not us. It's not what we want. It's not our preferences. It's that our collective life together should be a kind of support structure that is putting on display the glorious work of God through his son, Jesus Christ, for all peoples. Listen to what uh, one pastor named Ray Ortland said in his little book called The Gospel, how the church portrays the beauty of Christ, and it's available in our resource center. It's an excellent little paragraph on the life of a local church and what it should look like. It say, he says, gospel doctrine creates gospel cultures called churches. Listen to this. Where wonderful things happen to unworthy people for the glory of Christ alone. But it doesn't end in our churches. A gospel-defined church is a prophetic sign that points beyond itself. It is a model home of the new neighborhood Christ is building for eternity. Now, model homes are not perfect, are they? You've been through model homes, and they're kind of, you know, people have been walking through them for a year. And they've they got stains on the wall. But, but it's a kind of picture of what could and should be. A model home, it is a model home of a new neighborhood Christ is building for eternity. People can walk into this kind of church right now to see human beauty that will last forever. Such a church makes heaven real to people on earth so that they can put their faith in Christ now while they still have the chance. 
Friends, the life of Crosspoint. We started this church 12 years ago with a small group of people, and it has grown by God's grace. I am not in any way saying that, that Crosspoint is a kind of spiritual nirvana. Crosspoint is a beautiful wreck where we don't do things well. We don't serve one another. We don't treat each other well. We're imperfect in this. But what I think Ortland is saying here in line with what I think Paul is saying in 1 Timothy is that the life of the local church should be a kind of real, raw, authentic, gospel-centered family that the way they do life together, not the way they put on slick services or put beautiful... Don't websites of some churches just drive you nuts? Like they got all these beautiful people and they're dressed like, like they just walked off of a J. Crew catalog and everybody's sharp and all the videos are awesome. I mean, wh- wh- where do non-beautiful people, where can they worship? It just, it's like a, it's like a vein of carnality. We're American and slick and awesome. But that's not the life of the local church. The life of the local church is dusty and dirty and hard and imperfect. And you will be failed and you will fail others. But the way that we bear with one another in our imperfections and the way we inconvenience ourselves and yoke ourselves to the greater goal of the display of the gospel becomes a kind of aroma that the world cannot resist. And Paul is saying that the local church is the way that God intends to primarily put the sufficiency of Christ on display to an unlooking world. Did you read, did you hear what, Paul, what, what Will read to us earlier from Matthew chapter 16? He said in Matthew 16 verses 18 and 19 that the gates of hell will not prevail against this dusty, imperfect community. Think about that. What are you doing when you're behind a gate? You're on the defensive, right? And so the church in its, in its raw, imperfect beauty, as they live life together, is kind of actually on the offensive against the spiritual forces of wickedness. So what, Pastor Raphael mentioned it last Sunday, what we're doing here as we live life together as a gospel community is war. It's spiritual warfare against cosmic forces of wickedness. And isn't this just amazing? God intends to use us and the way we live together and the way we fight for the good news of the gospel and the way we bear with one another and the way we're patient with one another and the way we prioritize one another. He uses that to be the way in which he puts Christ and his sufficiency on display. That, that's amazing. Conviction number two. The local church is to send out and multiply. You won't necessarily find a verse in the New Testament that says, when you get to this certain level or whatever, then you should plant a church. But I think you see an impulse all throughout the New Testament about how the local church is to 
give themselves away. They're to send out. They're to reproduce. They're to multiply. They're to take the gospel to their neighbors and the nations. We see, we see this impulse after the resurrection in Matthew chapter 28. Listen to what Jesus says right before he ascends into heaven. This is what he says to his disciples that become the New Testament church in just a bit in, in Acts. Listen to what he says in Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. That's amazing to me. I mean, he's, he's res- I mean let that be an encouragement to you. We, he's been resurrected. He's walked on the earth for 40 days, appeared to over 500 people, and some, some people still struggle with doubt like us. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then we see after Jesus has ascended in Acts chapter 1, we see Well, Jesus has not ascended at this point, and Luke in Acts chapter 1 is recounting a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples, and in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, right before the ascension, it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then in Acts chapter 2, we do know that that Holy Spirit does fall on the early church as they were gathered together in that upper room. And the New Testament church is birthed as Peter stands up and preaches the word of God and many repent and believe. But do you see the missionary impulse of the triune God that Jesus speaks here? He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then in Acts 1, he says, I'm going to give you my spirit, and it's going to empower you to go. So he's saying that that we should go, the local church, we see this impulse. And then, as we progress through the book of Acts, we see the apostles enduring persecution and difficulty. And then we see the church beginning to grow. And in Acts chapter 13, we see this, this missions impulse again. Listen to the first three verses of Acts chapter 13, and by this time... The church had begun to grow in a place called Antioch, and the church was growing, and many gifted people were coming together. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who was also Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And then from that point on through the rest of the book of Acts is basically an account of the ministry of Paul, Saul, referred to here in Acts 13, and the other apostles, but primarily Paul, in church planting all across the Roman Empire at that time. So here's this church, Antioch, that was blessed clearly by God and was a kind of gathering place of giftedness. And instead of just sort of continuing to gather gifted people, this 
impulse of the early church was to send people off because more people needed to hear the gospel. And that's what happens in the book of Acts. How does this apply to us? I think that there is a kind of American idea of success that sometimes even churches fall into that we judge our fruitfulness by how many noses and nickels you gather. Just how many people you have in the seats and how, how much money you have. How big can you get? The bigger, the better. And I am not in any way saying that large churches cannot be effective biblical churches. We started out very small and we have grown to a medium to larger sized church. And praise God for that. He's been gracious to us. But we feel that God is calling us that one of the best and most biblical ways to reach our city is to multiply, not to merely grow bigger, but to multiply, that we would have more gospel outposts, that we would have more places that are preaching the gospel in a city that needs more gospel preaching churches. Now, a potential objection that you may have is you may say, Brad, there are hundreds of churches in Columbus. And let me say this very, very humbly. Yes, there are hundreds of church buildings in Columbus. But friends, frankly, many of them are devoid of gospel preaching. And I say that not in some sort of arrogance or pride, but in a, a, a lament. A lament that, that we have many church buildings in our city that for a variety of reasons, whatever, we don't have time to trace, that have, have lost the gospel. And so I would say we have lots of church buildings, but we don't necessarily have many gospel outposts in our city. And I think that, and we think through prayer and much consideration that one of the best ways that we can reach our city is by sending out people because something, something just beautiful happens when a church is planted. People are, people are, they're like energized. There's people in this room who have come to this church after it has grown larger, and it can be just the dynamics of a large group of people. It can be difficult to break in and find your place. And there are people in this room who God will call to go with the new church plant, and he will put you on mission, and now you will, something more will be needed of you than to just attend. Do you see that? Something, something is sort of, it's like, it's like he shakes the, the fish tank and all the stuff on the bottom comes up and God just uses it for the glory of God. That's what he does. People come out of the woodwork. People that have maybe become complacent in their Christian life, something stirs in them and God puts them on mission. And friend, that may be you. And you may be called by God to come alongside Will and his core team in this church plant, and to give your life away for the planting of another gospel community in our city that, Lord willing, can be a great force for the gospel in years to come. Conviction number three. The local church is founded on Christ and the preaching and teaching of the word. 
The local church is founded on Christ and the preaching and teaching of his word. Listen to how Paul describes the church one chapter previous to what we just read in Ephesians chapter 3. At the end of Ephesians 2, listen to how Paul describes the local church. He says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. He's speaking to Gentiles and Jews that have been reconciled to God. You are no longer strangers and aliens. They've been reconciled because of Christ. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And what does he mean by the foundation of the apostles and prophets? He's talking about the teaching of the word of God. The apostles and prophets in the New Testament church were to teach the good news about Jesus Christ. And the apostles in particular were given this revelation, the disciples and Paul who became an apostle, one who has seen the resurrected Christ and received the authority to write the New Testament, Christ being the cornerstone, and then the teaching of the apostles and prophets, which was the Old Testament and the New Testament that would be written. Paul is saying here in Ephesians 2 that this is what the church is founded on. That's the cornerstone. And then the teaching of the good news of the gospel, which is the Bible, rests on top of that cornerstone, Christ. And then he says in verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So I think Paul is saying here that the church is founded not, listen to this, this is, this is important for us to, to hear as Americans. The church is founded, built on Christ and the teaching of Christ, which is the Bible, not on any other secondary thing, not on a cool building, a good vibe, good music, children's ministry, the charisma of a person. That's not what a healthy church is built. Those things may be used by God in some way, but the foundation of the church is the right preaching of the word of God to reveal to a world who Christ is. If you have that, and you have the right, the right administration of baptism in the Lord's Supper and a group of people that are committed together, you have a local church. That's what a church is. The preaching of the scriptures that gathers the people of God. Listen to how, how Paul emphasizes preaching in 1 Timothy chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. He says to this young pastor, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Do we have any examples of that? Of course we do. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He's telling this young pastor that the most important thing that you can give yourself is to the preaching of God's word. God establishes his church on Christ, and then he builds it out through the right communication of God's word. I'm not saying that the local church, that the only thing they do is preaching. I'm saying that that's, that's a primary foundational stone. 
And, and I think we have a young man on this staff in Will Hawk who is a gifted preacher and teacher of God's word, and we want to deploy that arsenal, that weapon that God has given for the sake of the mission. We want to deploy that. We want to shoot that arrow into our city and plant a church that can reach people that we may never reach. Listen to what uh, one pastor, William Still, he was a Scottish guy back in the mid-1900s, and he wrote a book called The Work of the Pastor. Listen to what he wrote about the centrality of the teaching of God's word in the life of the local church. He says that there is no greater or better way to make an impact than by sounding forth the word of God and bringing people under its life-changing and character-transforming power. The reverberations of such a ministry extend further and further, and the ramifications of its influence spread farther abroad than we ever dreamt of, and all without thought on our part or attempt at publicity, self-aggrandizement, or self-justification. Do get my point, which is that if the hope of the world is Christ, it is Christ in all the scriptures, and that hope can only be fulfilled by men pouring out the riches of Christ's saving grace upon the Lord's people through the scriptures. That's not to say that there's not a whole lot of other things that the life of the church is filled with, but it is to say that the thing that should drive the life of a local church is the right biblical communication and exhortation and proclamation of Christ in the scriptures. Um, since we planted a church 12 years ago, you know, we, we've, we, it, I, I guess it's gone well. I mean, we're still alive and people still show up. And so occasionally people will say like, well, how, what, what, how is Christ? Man, I don't know. I don't, I don't have any, we didn't have any plan. We started this church out in the country in a building hidden in the woods. Paul and I were driving around one day and we found this building that was 15 miles from nowhere that nobody knew where it was and we started the church, which is not wise. I would not advocate that you do that, Will. And then we just kind of sang the Bible, we prayed the Bible, we taught the Bible, we preached the Bible, and we try and live out the Bible. And we've done a mediocre job of that. And for some reason, because of his kindness, God has blessed us. I want you to see the centrality of the word of God. That, that, is not, that does not mean that we can just sort of throw the Bible out there and it will mean that our church plant will be successful. But it is meant to say that the local church is founded on Christ and the preaching of his word and we have a young man who can preach God's word and we need to shoot that arrow into corners of our city which are not being reached. And finally and fourthly, all believers, all of us, are called to ministry and mission with and through the local church. All believers are called to ministry and mission with and through the local church. I, I don't have time to build this out. We're going to come around the Lord's table and receive communion here in just a moment. I think there are huge implications in the New Testament for the life of an individual believer. I think you need to be vitally connected to a local church. I think you need to Submit yourself to the life of a local church. I think, I think all believers should be members of a local church. They should, they should submit themselves to the authority of a group of people. 
They should serve, I think, I think even missionaries, even the missionaries that we've sent out to other places in the world, are in, they're doing that missions work abroad in and through the local church. And I think all believers, all believers, and this is, this is one of the hindrances, I think, of American culture is that we don't do a good job of mobilizing all believers because, because we, we are by nature, we come and observe rather than come and engage. And we need to help and do a better job of having all believers be mobilized to ministry and mission through the local church. And, and I get that, not just because I, I think it's a good idea, but I think we see it in Scripture. Again, Ephesians chapter 4. Listen to what Paul says about the life of a local church. Ephesians 4 verse 11. And he, meaning God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So he gave certain gifts, certain offices in the church to help equip the church to the saints, all people, for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, every person, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So do you see what this picture Paul is painting for us here in Ephesians 4? He's saying that all believers in the local church have a, a role and a purpose in the life of the church. And as we as we fulfill that purpose, as we live together, as we serve one another, as we prefer one another, as we exhort one another, as we care for one another, as we read the Bible to one another, as we hold one another accountable, as we do this mundane and rugged and authentic life of a local church together, God then uses that to help us grow into maturity so that our life together becomes a clearer picture of the gospel that we preach and teach. And now to an onlooking world, the gospel that we proclaim is not obscured by the gospel that we live. And the life of a local church is meant to shorten that gap so that it becomes a clear, a clear picture of what it means to follow Jesus to an onlooking world. And he uses our life together as a local church as evangelism. Think about that, friends. The way we do life together, as you live a life in a cubicle at Aflac or Synovus or a platoon at Fort Benning or a mother's morning out group, the way you posture yourself in that context with Christ as your king and a family of God that you do life with together, the way you speak about the local church, the way unbelievers see you prioritizing the family of God becomes a kind of evangelistic witness to an onlooking world. And God uses that as a display to an onlooking world of who Jesus is. And in his kindness, he makes it an aroma, a kind of irresistible aroma that draws people to Christ and brings them in 
to a gathering of the local church where they hear the gospel or he brings them into a conversation with a member of a local church where they hear the gospel and where through the course of time and patience and grace, he brings them to faith and he makes them part of his glorious body. And then he puts that person that he's redeemed on mission because he puts them together with a group of people. And now they, through their discipleship, are actually on the mission of evangelism as they live together in the life of a local church. Friends, I'm not in any way diminishing the necessity of us to proclaim and to share, but what I am saying is that the way we do life together as a local church is a kind of global witness. And we need lots of global witnesses. We need lots of global, of heavenly outposts in our city because we have a city of 300,000 people or so. And there's six, seven, eight hundred people or so that would call Cross Point home. And of course, there's other churches doing good gospel work in our city. But we need more. We need more. We need more. So, we believe that there are people in this room who God is calling to go. We are asking you to consider, to pray. Next week, we will preach and give us a picture of his heart for church planting. And then in the coming months and weeks, the rest of 2017, the beginning of 2018, we will be praying and keeping this before you and giving you opportunities to hear more about it. And we're asking you to consider whether or not God might be calling you to go to be part of this church plant team they would plant another gospel outpost in our city. Oh, friends, I realize there's lots of details that come into that, that factor into that. Where will this church be? We're, we're not quite sure yet. We're, we're really investigating a lot of possibilities. Just like this church, where this church eventually will first start meeting will not necessarily be its long-term location. We realize that. When will this church be planted? Tentatively, we're thinking about the middle of next year, summer, fall, sometime. Again, that's, that's written in pencil. We know that we want to send a group of people from Crosspoint out to be the core team to plant this church, not to be a duplicate of Crosspoint, but to be its own church that then becomes a gospel witness, another gospel witness, that of course will be, will be tied to Crosspoint. Lord willing, we'll be sister churches for, until Jesus comes back. But there are people in this room, and you need to feel the freedom to... Go. Now, I hope it's not all of you, but if it is, I'll get the message and I'll get a job somewhere else. <laughs> message heard. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, um, but whoever wants to go needs to feel the freedom to go. So next week, Will is going to preach. And then the following Sunday, November 19th, we are going to have an informational lunch right after the service where you can ask questions, where Will will answer more uh, questions in detail. So next week, Will's preaching. The following week, November 19th, an informational lunch for anybody interested that doesn't commit you to anything. And then after that, 
for the remainder of 2017 and then early part of 2018, you'll be hearing more about opportunities to hear more, to connect, to consider, to, to be part of this church plant team. Friends, I, I end with this. This is risky. This is risky. We, we have tried this before. We tried to plant a church a couple of years ago. And for a variety of reasons, it did not work. We don't think those issues will be at play in this particular effort. Again, for a variety of reasons. This is risky because we're frail and fickle people. Friends, there's a mystery to it. Jesus says in John 3, and he's specific, he's, he in John 3 is having this conversation with Nicodemus, and in the context of John 3, I think he's specifically speaking about the salvation of every individual, but I think there's an application broadly here to it. He says about the Spirit of God, he says, the wind blows where it wishes. There's a mystery to the work of God. This is not a combination lock. This is not a science experiment that if we just add the right chemicals, we'll have the reaction that we desire. There is a mystery to the sovereign work of God. Friends, there are wonderful preachers who labor in very, labor in very small contexts and it never seems that God brings them fruit. And then there are guys that can barely tie their shoes and somehow, or not, and I'm one of them, that God seems to bless. Friends, there's a mystery to the work of God. He is sovereign. We are his subjects. We are frail and fickle and there is great risk. But friends, it is worth it. And then, friends, there are spiritual, don't discount this, there are spiritual forces of wickedness that want to destroy and discourage God's people whenever they step out in faith. And, and part of our problem as Americans is we are so, we are so numbed by comfort that we don't even recognize it. This, this morning, Springer played, prayed for the persecuted church. And in some sense, we're, we're sort of prone to this trap where we say, oh, those poor people, they have it so hard. But friends, sometimes God will, will bring clarity and blessing through persecution because in those contexts, it's clearer. They know who God is and they know what evil is. And what is... What is 80 years of torment and trial and persecution if it causes you to cling to Christ? And what good is 80 years of comfort and luxury if it causes you to drift from Christ? So, so friends, our blessing and our comfort and our big building and our air conditioner that some of you get mad at because it's too cold or it's too hot or it's too noisy, some of us are lulled to sleep by that. And we want what we want, and when we don't get it, we whine. And all the while, the glory of God is not fully displayed, and the souls of men and women do not hear the gospel because there are spiritual forces of wickedness lulling us to sleep in upper-class American comfort. Planting a church is hard. <laughs> it's hard. I, 
I, I love Will, and sometimes I, I just would say, don't, don't do it, don't do it. Just stay here. <laughs> just stay. Don't, 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 don't go to Central Asia where there's no Christians. <laughs> just, just stay here and let's hold on until Jesus comes back. Because, friends, we're not playing tiddlywinks. We're fighting a spiritual war where lives are at stake. And there are demons and devils that rack and torment my soul. Oh, dear Friends, being a gospel outpost is war. It's, it's war. And planning a church is oh, it's hard. Just like everything else is hard. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I hate when pastors make too much of the, oh, friends, I'm, life is hard. Living as a Christian in a broken world is hard. And, and yet... <laughs> Yes, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. I want to be empty-handed when Jesus comes back. I want to be spent. I want to be dragged across the finish line by my brothers and sisters and the Holy Spirit because it is worth it. So with that, let's roll up our sleeves. And let's see what we can do for our city and for the glory of God. Amen? <laughs> I, love, I love you. I love you. Let me pray and then let's come around the Lord's table together. Lord, um, you always lead us in triumphal procession, Paul writes to the Corinthians. And through us, spread the aroma of Christ everywhere. To those who are perishing, it's the scent of death. To those who are being saved, it's the scent of life. Who is sufficient for these things? But as men of sincerity called and commissioned by you, we speak Christ to a city that needs Jesus. It's not acceptable, Lord, that there are so many people in our city that don't know Jesus that are lost in the false assurance of nominal Christianity that do not know Jesus. We should not be okay with that. Give us a kind of uncomfortableness and a spiritual unsettledness and put us on mission for the glory of God and the salvation of all that you have called to yourself. Lord, use Crosspoint for your glory. We pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment as we attempt to plan a church in this upcoming year. We pray that you would bless Will and Karen Ann and their core team and their boys and their little precious daughter. I pray that you would speak clearly to those in this congregation who would be called to go. I pray that we'd give ourselves away for the sake of the gospel. I pray that when Jesus returns, we would not be a church that is full of assets and slim on mission. That we wouldn't be grumpy and, and all about our preferences but that we would be tired and spent with spiritual calluses on our hands and sweat on our brow and 
joy in our hearts because we have given our lives away to something that is far more satisfying than stuff. Lord, I pray that you'd do this in and through us. We plead for your grace as we try this risky endeavor. And we pray that our motivation would be the display of the sufficiency of Christ to our city, to our neighbors, and to the nations as a result. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.